It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. And joining me as we have two wonderful guests uh, lined up for us to have a great conversation today. You know, uh, in case this happens to be your first time uh, coming in, or maybe you haven't come in for a while, appreciate you joining us. And really, the, the show is kind of based around this idea that uh, I, I have the privilege of meeting a lot of really cool and inspiring people all the time. And I generally like to ask them a lot of questions. I like to find out what makes them tick and find out all the cool things that they might be doing in their work. And so this show is really designed to take that conversation that I would probably already have anyways with somebody and put it on the air and let everyone hear it and let everyone learn from uh, some of these amazing people and the things that they're doing. So uh, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, and and most of you are, you know, kind of kind of coming in after the fact on our podcast or hearing us on iHeartRadio although some of you do come in live and we appreciate it, but uh, really just been uh, overwhelmed and uh, so enthusiastic about uh, the incredible um, audience that we've been able to build, tens of thousands of you coming in today and listening to, to shows on either of those platforms. Uh, so big thank you to everyone who's sh- showing up regularly. But for those of you that are really want to get interactive here, we'd love to have you send us a question. If you're listening live, uh, whether you're listening after the fact, you can submit your questions to me and my guests via Twitter, uh, send us a question to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. Um, if you're doing it live, my producer Mike tries to feed me those questions, and we even work them into the show as we're going along. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we get some different uh, angles, different questions, um, and go from there. So uh, as I mentioned, I have uh, two wonderful guests. Uh, let me tell you about who they are today. My first guest will be Jaime Gonzalez. He's the section head of professional development for JPL. A uh, real interesting guy, and we'll get to him in just a second. But after the commercial break, we'll then follow up with uh, Kim Sullivan, CHRO for the University of Texas System. So let me go ahead and get started with my first guest. Uh, Jaime, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Nice to be with you. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself and, of course, what you're doing over there with JPL. All right. I'd be happy to. Well, I am a uh, 30-plus-year veteran of the human resources wars, most of that in the leadership development realm. Uh, I've been here at uh, the Jet Propulsion Lab for about eight years, but prior to that, uh, spent about uh, a little more than 10 years with Warner Brothers as their head of uh, leadership development, and before that with Northrop, Northrop Grumman for about 15 years, uh, for the most part in the, in the leadership development organization development realm. Well, that's great. So, you know, as the section head and over at uh, JPL, what are some of the, let me talk about some of the short-term and long-term tasks or goals, things that you're kind of really focused on. 
Well, I think short term, like I think many in my role, uh, you know, it's about delivering content. Uh, we have a number of uh, what we call cohort programs that we manage that are either aimed at our frontline managers, what we call our group supervisors or middle level executives, the section managers. We've developed a new uh, high potential program. So it's sort of answering the mail when it comes to those six to nine month programs that we manage where either my team is delivering content or creating the content or procuring that content. Uh, but you know, that's a very traditional sort of classroom bound experience that I'm sure many in, in the leadership development realm are, are quite uh, familiar with. Long term, um, that's not a model that's going to sustain us, at the, I don't think, in the leadership development field and, and certainly not at JPL. So what we are starting to experiment with is really to diversify our, uh, our portfolio of how uh, employees are able to access content on their own time uh, when they need it more specifically uh, at any time anywhere on any device so that they don't have to wait for a certain date on the calendar and for a certain room to open up that if they have a particular need whether it's in how to coach a difficult employee uh, some tips on how to deliver an effective presentation, a whole host of things they can access things on their own in addition to take advantage, taking advantage of the resources that my team uh, might be able to provide them uh, as well. So we're doing a lot in the, uh, starting to explore in terms of how to create more access to learning and development anytime and particularly at that point of when the learning is actually needed. So not again waiting till the, till the class is ready but when the, when the manager needs to have the, the crucial conversation, having that, those resources available for him or her to uh, immediately access. Well, sounds like you got quite a lot you're thinking about and working on over there. I know um, you and I crossed paths because we both spoke at the uh, EMP event over at the mm -hmm. UCI Cove and really enjoyed the things that you covered and what you were talking about. So, you know, you mentioned your experience at Northrop Grumman and, and Warner Brothers, um, and those are completely different markets than where you're at now. Um, and so might really kind of take you in different directions. And I was wondering if you found you know, those challenges to be radically different or if you found some similarities and parallels when you're looking at leadership development, organizational development, and, you know, the list goes on. I mean, how would you kind of compare your different experiences to what you're doing now? Sure. So, you know, there are, there are obviously on the surface uh, several differences you can, you can uh, cite between a, a Northrop Grumman you know, a large aerospace uh, organization, a Warner Brothers, a, an entertainment company that was part of a larger entertainment conglomerate, and then JPL, which is a, a federally funded research and development center that's part of NASA and uh, uh, is, is populated by three-quarters of its population anyway with engineers and scientists. So there are a lot of things culturally in terms of how things get done and what gets emphasized. But what I found in my 25-plus year career in, in leadership development, there is sort of a thread that weaves its way through all three of those experiences. And, and I find myself having experienced it my, uh, on my own, that in, in each one of those organizations, you've got people who are in, in management roles, and that's where I spend most of my time focusing on supporting people who are in management and leadership roles. And I myself am a manager here at the, at, 
uh, have been a manager in each one of those organizations. And, and typically those people uh, are, uh, they were very high achievers, they were top of top performers, and then they, whether they were uh, an aerospace engineer, a, a home video marketing expert, or a, a scientist, they were plucked out of that individual contributor role and now put into a role where they had to get results through other people. And maybe, as is the case here at JPL, also continue to do some of that individual contributor work uh, off the side of your desk. So what I found in each one of those roles, the, the thread that weaves its way through all of them, is this this desire to, or this acknowledgement, I guess, first, and then a desire to uh, get better at working through other people. I know uh, particularly the technical people, the technical leaders that I've worked with in, in their uh, quiet moments of confession would say, you know, I, I know I'm really good on the technical stuff, it's, it's, I do and I do struggle with the people side of my job. So having a, an internal resource, whether it's a set of training programs, whether it's a set of internal or external coaches that they can, um, that they can access or utilize, having those developmental resources available in each one of those companies that my team and I have been able to provide, I think have been um, a real support to people who genuinely want to do good, do, do, do good work but uh, don't necessarily, haven't necessarily been prepared to get that good work done through other people. So it seems like your job duties, I mean, they really cover a wide spectrum, man. I mean, you're talking about quite a, a lot of different things, and, and, and what I'm hearing a lot about is mentoring and career development uh, and even really coaching, I mean, helping those people with those different areas where they may be mm -hmm. excelling and then areas where they may be really having challenges or, or it's a great opportunity for them to grow um, or maybe outsource that, that duty. So, you know, are there particular metrics or models or things that you like to do to ensure that the employees are developing, you know, regardless of where they are in the organization? I mean, you may have a top scientist that's really key, but, you know, if they can't manage people or if they can't communicate properly or things like that, I mean, how do you kind of deal with some of that? Sure, a couple of things. So uh, over the last few years, we've um, we've uh, collected a lot of data about our employees uh, at JPL and our management practices in particular. And one thing that you, you just mentioned around career development and why we spend so much time around coaching and mentoring and career development is that we've learned from our engagement data that the number one driver at JPL of engagement, of commitment, of why people would, uh, why they take pride in working at JPL and why they would recommend it to other people is the opportunity to develop their career here. Um, unlike my experiences at Northrop or Warner Brothers, or at least to a lesser degree at those places, people come to JPL almost as a destination. They come here to do something that, uh, particularly in the engineering and science realms, that have never been done before. And so it's a, um, that desire to come and do great work and continue to learn and develop in your in your field of specialty is a, a, a tremendous attractant here. Um, we don't have the same sort of uh, financial baubles that a uh, some of our competitors might be able to dangle in front of folks, uh, but that that lure of doing uh, you know this this uh, going into uncharted uh, territories. We 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 have a, sort of an unofficial motto here of daring mighty things, and that's sort of what is really compelling for folks who come here and keeps them keeps them engaged. So we've collected a lot of data over the last several years about what impacts that engagement and one impa what impacts managers' effectiveness here. So I mentioned, uh, you know, having the opportunity to develop my career. Uh, what we've also found is that 
having more frequent both formal and informal conversations with my immediate supervisor uh, about my performance and my growth and development and, and my career is a tremendous uh, has a tremendous impact here as well. We made a transition about, uh, gosh, it's almost, almost five years ago now, from a very traditional paper-bound annual performance appraisal process to a more ongoing, uh, almost unstructured, I think, uh, performance coaching model, which places less emphasis on the, you know, the quantity of forms you complete and a lot more emphasis on the quality of the conversations that you have. Uh, and that's not just a one-way between uh, that the manager initiates. It's it's meant to be a partnership so that uh, an employee who wants to initiate a conversation with his or her immediate supervisor or just somebody important to their success. We are a matrix organization, so your immediate supervisor may not be the only or sole source or the best source for your career development. So taking the initiative to um, and feeling comfortable and equipped to be able to have those conversations uh, is important. And we've seen that impact when we first launched this performance coaching initiative uh, back in the fall, winter of uh, 2013. We found that um, in response to a survey, about 47% of our employees said that their most recent performance conversations had a positive impact on their uh, on their performance and their overall satisfaction at work. Our most recent uh, survey uh, completed earlier this year, the same item, that number is up to, I want to say it was around 71, 72% found, uh, had, found had a favorable experience in terms of those performance conversations having a positive impact on their, on their, on their satisfaction and on their effectiveness. And people are having more frequent formal and informal conversations as a result. So. We, uh, we try and measure a lot of things, particularly things that um, don't necessarily have a hard metric to them. And uh, so it's been, uh, it's been really useful to see how uh, our employees uh, have embraced this process and have benefited from it as well. And, and, you know, you guys are really implementing a lot of different strategies and really developing people, I guess, on a, a long-term and a, a personal, professional level. Do you think that that really contributes to your ability to be able to, you know, to, to get key talent and keep key talent? Because I imagine you guys are running up against other private enterprises and, uh, you know, that want some of your talent, want some of your, your, your brain power and, and, and being able to compete in that marketplace. It's, it's, I think it, it has been a challenge. It's only going to become more of a challenge. I've been here not quite eight years, so I've, even in my sh relatively, and in JPL terms, eight years isn't, isn't that long with the people who have been here 30, 40, 50 years. Um, but even in that short period of time, you've seen, you know, in certain uh, uh, specialized technologies or areas of engineering, you've got uh, not only the, the, the usual suspects in terms of competition, you know, from uh, aerospace, uh, aerospace companies, but you've got, uh, you know, major technology players going after our folks uh, as well. And as I, as I alluded to earlier, they can offer a lot of other types of perks that uh, that we are unable to do. So, you know, being able to provide not only that challenging and interesting and can't do it anywhere else type of work, but being able to support that with other um, other um, 
practices, whether it's around learning and development, or how we onboard folks, or the uh, our flex uh, our flex work policy, which is our tele what we label uh, telecommuting here. Uh, those types of things, you know, those are the things that we can we can use to. Uh, as part of attracting as well as uh, trying to retain. But it is, it, I think it's, it, it is, continues to be a challenge and it's only going to continue in that direction, uh, I think, for the foreseeable future as this, uh, this talent, this STEM talent becomes uh, that much more uh, desirable in so many different uh, aspects of, uh, of work. Absolutely. Well, maybe to switch, switch gears a little bit and kind of give JPL a rest for a moment. I know uh, <laughs> you're sort of looking at Warner Brothers and some of the things you did there that I kind of found fascinating. And one of them, which was ta- starting a corporate university uh, to develop and deliver kind of in-house solutions to meet your development needs. Um, can you talk about what you did there and how this worked and how impactful it may have been and uh, into the organization? Well, um, you know, it was a real branding effort. I think what what it served in the early days of my tenure at, at Warner Brothers was an opportunity to provide an identity for the learning and development resources that my organization provided. Prior to my arrival, there, were, there was really nothing in place when it came to uh, uh, leadership or uh, organizational development resources. So it was a bit of a, an opportunity to brand those resources and uh, people would talk about WBU and be able to go into WB, WBU and see you know, what was there. And so it, it, it helped us uh, build credibility across the organization in terms of what types of resources, what type of learning resources the company provided or that my organization could customize for them. That the, I learned a lot in that experience that is helping me today at JPL in that, you know, this is, uh, I, I was at Warner Brothers in the uh, early 2000s, and this was sort of during that first wave of uh, where, where e-learning really started to explode. And as part of our WBU efforts, we housed a ton of e-learning resources uh, and made a, I mean, literally thousands of resources available to employees and watch those resources uh, go untouched because it was such a maze. It was so confusing. There was so much out there that rather than try and wind my way through what the WBU, WBU catalog had, I'd rather just check out or I'll just, you know, I'll give Jamie a call and get his recommendation. And so that, that sort of teed me up for what we're starting to experience now, and I think what many in the leadership development realm are starting to experience in terms of how we need to do a better job for our audiences or for our customers in terms of how we curate uh, that content for learners, uh, whether it's through uh, you know, a uh, a learning ecosystem like uh, Degreed, or whether it's uh, you know indivi- you know on on one's own um, or both, uh, where uh, people are people are uh, people are obviously busy and overwhelmed. There was a a real interesting uh, person by Deloitte infographic a couple of years ago that talked about the overwhelmed employee and and basically that uh, from their research, uh, people have about one percent of their working week that they can devote to learning and their own personal learning and development. That that knocked me upside my head in terms of, well, you know, rather than having people use that time to search for stuff, let me 
do the searching for them, do the curating for them, and create uh, create um, uh, pathways or playlists. It's sort of like uh, uh, what what Spotify does so well for you, or what uh, what Netflix does so well for you in terms of being able to learn what you're interested in or learn what you like and then create content or curate content that uh, that plays into that. So I think that experience with the Warner Brothers University uh, really helped me learn a lot about, again, sort of the marketing and the branding of learning and development resources, but also the, the downside to having too, too much available and uh, doing a better job of of uh, segmenting that, curating that, so that the audience actually comes and uses it. Well, that curating seems to be the real key. I mean, whether it's Spotify or Netflix or any of these other platforms, you're right. There's so much data. There's so much out there. How does somebody even begin to go through that? I mean, I could just type in any random word into Spotify and come up with some random band, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to like it. But you're right. That curating, to figure out my tastes, my likes, they can start to deliver things to me that I, I might enjoy, um, although it's or, kind of fun to, to look for a new band randomly. But <laughs> what were you going to well, say? I love that they do that for me, too, that they every week I get this uh, sort of favorites uh, things that you might like. And I, I've discovered so many uh, new bands and new artists just from uh, them sort of mining my data in terms of who uh, who I play a lot. Yeah, you know, iTunes used to do a great job of that. They had a genius list, and they used to right. you know, kind of curate stuff that way. And I used to find so many bands that way. Uh, but really, Spotify has kind of taken that over, definitely. Um, you know, I was going to ask you a little bit about your assessment tool, but you kind of already described some of that and what you guys are doing, that kind of ongoing process, um, as opposed to a giant, you know, yearly annual thing where you might create a, 500 page you know document and bound it to a folder that no one's ever going to look at again and, uh, no, I think more and more what what I wrestle with is uh, even beyond the types of uh, annual or biannual you know large-scale engagement or coaching surveys that we run I think it's got to be more and more uh, these uh, pulse uh, pulse and spot surveys around very targeted selected uh, segments of the population and just doing that on a more frequent or ongoing basis uh, uh, that seems to uh, I know what on, on my experience here is that after uh, I think two or three fairly large scale surveys that we ran this year at, uh, at JPL people do get uh, sort of burnt out on it and uh, uh, or can become quite cynical about them uh, particularly if there is not uh, any sort of uh, follow-up uh, or tangible action that comes comes from them. So, uh, but you still need to get the data, and and so um, I think that's where uh, that's a that's a, that's another challenge for us within uh, with my uh, with my HR colleagues here. To how do we collect more data more frequently, more useful data more frequently, um, and not uh, burn out our population in terms of providing that data. Right. Absolutely. Well, I. I kind of thought of a question that uh, maybe we want to start asking our guests, and I'm going to throw it out to you, be a little bit of an experiment. We'll see how we do here. So if you don't have a great answer, don't worry, because I, I am throwing this to you <laughs> okay. completely off the cuff here. But is there a gadget or is there a piece of software or a thing that maybe you're using right now that you just are, are loving or, or can't live without that, you know, it 
it could be, you know, a coffee filter. It could be a, a, a new, you know, cover for your phone. It could be, you know, I, it could be anything. But to something that kind of you're glad you found that maybe you're using right now. Well, just sort of playing off my my comment earlier about curating, the um, I do a lot of that for our folks here. And I'll tell you about two apps that I discovered about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, that I, I don't know how I lived without them before that. Uh, the, the first one is, um, is uh, Flipboard. And Flipboard is, you know, it's basically a, 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 um, a content, a, uh, not a search engine, but it goes out and finds content based on your interests or likes. You, uh, so I'll go in and select, you know, I'm interested in, in manager effectiveness, leader effectiveness, uh, movies, cooking, whatever my interests are, and it'll funnel my way articles, uh, videos, things that play to those interests. So for me, as I st- started to uh, curate content for our managers here at JPL, I thought, well, this is a great resource. It's doing a lot of the, the legwork or the, the, the search work for me. But I found that every time I found, uh, every time I found an interesting article and I would go back the next day, well, the feed was, was replenished and I, and I had lost it uh, if I didn't remember the title of the article or the, or, the, or the author. So the other app besides Flipboard that I can't live without is one called Pocket. And what Pocket ena- enables me to do, if I find something that's really neat on Flipboard, on one of these feeds, I can simply click on that and I could either, uh, you know, send it uh, via email to myself or to text, the, uh, text a link to somebody or I could save it to Pocket. And Pocket enables me to then sort of um, literally pocket all of these articles or resources that I've uh, collected from Flipboard uh, and and I can quickly access them now on a um, as I do on a about a monthly basis because what I do is I go through those uh, those resources that I've saved and uh, look thematically for things that uh, would make for uh, a good interesting uh, blog for the, uh, the our managers here and I and I send out a blog on a about a monthly maybe every six weeks period, and that has made my life so lot, uh, so much easier when I've been able to quickly find something of interest and then save it to Pocket. So Flipboard and Pocket are two apps that I can't live without. Well, you've given us uh, two great things. I'm certainly going to download those and check those out. Uh, I always love to get great suggestions. And the other you know, kind of area where this comes from is we've always asked our guests um, about what they might be reading right now, and you know, people range the gamut of books to periodicals to magazines to you know just blog articles or whatever it may be but you know where what are you reading right now or is there a book that you you know you tend to recommend to people as sort of a, a key way to, to to maybe dive into something new so i'll give you um the book i'm currently reading i just picked up is a book called playing with fire and it's by uh, lawrence o'donnell who uh, is a, an anchor on msnbc it's about the 1968 election and how it uh, sort of transformed uh, uh the american political system and pr- particularly presidential elections uh ever since so i've just started that and it's a fascinating uh, fascinating book um so that's for pleasure that book i'm a i'm a a, a political junkie, particularly around presidential elections, so I love reading that stuff. For work, I've um, uh, within the last couple of months, I finished reading a book called Two Awesome Hours" by a guy named Josh Davis. Josh is a, um, I think he's the head of research for the Neuro Leadership Institute, and it's a, um, it's he's sort of, you know, it's it's sort of a book on productivity management, but it takes sort of a science-based approach to how you 
you know, harness your best time uh, or find your best time to, to get your most important work done. And it looks at um, not, not only neurological things, but, you know, in terms of diet and, and other facets that sort of play to how you can maximize your effectiveness, maximize your productivity in those two critical hours in your, in your day, whether that's at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, whatever the awesome hours are for you. So two awesome hours, I think, is a really interesting uh, expansion on what you would find in uh, your typical personal productivity book, like a getting things done or, or something like that, which getting things done, I think, is the, the, the Bible of all of them. But uh, Two Awesome Hours is a good add to that collection. Well, I uh, really appreciate you being a part of the show today. We've picked up a lot of uh, wonderful uh, tidbits and learned quite a bit uh, along the way. Uh, you know, How can people find out more about you or JPL or maybe if they're interested in, in working for you guys or, or whatever it may be? What's the best way for people to find out more? Well, if uh, if they want to come work at JPL, you know, just uh, if you just go ahead and Google on uh, Google JPL, you will find us, and you'll find a very simple way of uh, submitting your uh, your uh, your resume and all of that information, and and just the type and find out more about the types of things that we're working on. If you want to get a hold of me, I think the um, uh, the best way is to go ahead and uh, I'll give you my uh, my uh, email, which is uh, Sandemus Jamie, uh, S A N D I M A S J A I M E at Gmail dot com, and uh, be happy to follow up with anybody who happens to send me a note. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show and giving our listeners some great things to think about. Uh, hopefully, we have you come back and give us an update uh, at some point on all the wonderful things you're doing. I would be more than happy to, Chris. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me join you. All right. We'll be back after this quick commercial break, and we'll be joined by our second guest, Kim Sullivan. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Hey, welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, we just had a great uh, interview with Jamie Gonzalez, the uh, sectional head of professional development at JPL. Uh, if you happen to miss his interview, you can get it here in a few days on iTunes or listen to it on iHeartRadio. We also publish everything on our direct website, talenttalkradio.com. Love to have you go there and listen to all past episodes. So um, let's go ahead and jump into my next guest. Don't forget you can tweet us a question right now, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk. We'll try to feed it in. Um, but my next guest is Kim Sullivan, uh, the CHRO uh, for the University of Texas Systems. Um, Kim, welcome to the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to, to be on. Thank you. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little about yourself, uh, you know, kind of, 
you maybe a little bit about your your career and how you got where you are, and of course what you're doing over there uh, at the University of Texas system. Absolutely, I am a native Texan, so that I always feel obligated to share that with people, um, which has really been, uh, which was a huge part of of my decision to join the University of Texas system. I've spent my career in HR. I have, I've worked for some wonderful large companies with iconic brands. And as part of that, those experiences, I really just had the opportunity to work as, as a generalist in generalist roles early in my career, as well as specialist roles leading center of expertise, uh, different centers of expertise as a specialist. And now I've and I've continued to grow in my career, and now I've had the opportunity to lead the team at the University of Texas system. Um, but although I am an HR person, I, I, at this point in my career, I feel like my approach to HR is a little not as traditional as it used to be. I really look through, look at HR strategy through a business transformation and a change lens because it's, those are the things that really drive adoption and add value and impact to the organization. So, you know, as a, a CHRO of a major university system, you undoubtedly have a great impact on the overall structure and programs and, and even culture for the, the employees and everyone involved. So maybe what are some of the things you immediately noted that maybe needed your attention or things that you began to work on as you came into this role? Well, one of the first things, my role was a, was a newly created role, so we had not had a CHRO in place. And I spent time with the executive leadership team as well as other members of the organization and really solicited feedback around how and asked questions about what culture means to them, what are those behaviors that are really critical to helping the organization advance. And my number one priority was to put in place a business-aligned and, uh, and talent-focused HR strategy, and it's a multi-year strategy. It's a three-year strategy, and we um, and it's focused. The, the strategy includes an integrated approach to focusing on diversity and inclusiveness as well. And, and was that something that's kind of an always an ongoing thing, or were you, did you feel like you're able to come in and immediately, you know, kind of go from wherever you were up up to where you wanted to be? No, that, that is a, it's, it's a journey. I tell my team and, and those around me all the time, it's, it's a journey to put, first of all, it takes time. It's, it's, it, it, there's a huge change impact coming into an organization that hasn't had more, a more structured HR team and certainly an HR leader. So there, so there was a lot of work that falls under the HR umbrella that was really kind of all over the place. So I had to take inventory of what, what is the work that's happening. And then how does that work get get funneled into the HR department? And then we put a plan in place, but communicating that plan, keeping it top of mind, talking about what we committed to, how we're measuring it, the progress that we're making, if we don't make progress, having discussions about that is an ongoing and con- continuous journey. And oftentimes in my experience in HR, sometimes we put that plan in place but we lose momentum because we fail to communicate the progress made against it. And that is something that I've really been deliberate about, as well as with my leadership team, to ensure that we are continuing to talk about what we committed to the organization and how it's impacting the overall strategic priorities and aligned with our mission. 
you know, when you came into this position and you really kind of surveyed the cultural landscape, what were some of the things that you noted uh, on that end of it? I mean, you sort of said some of the things that you really wanted to accomplish, but, you know, is the culture in itself different today, do you think, than it was when you started? I do, and a lot of that, so a lot of the our current chancellor, Chancellor uh, Bill McRaven, came in with a very deliberate focus, and he was at UP about a year before I started, but he's been very deliberate and very transparent about the fact that his, he wants his legacy to be that he changed UP systems um, culture. And, and what that means and how that has shown up the UP system is we're very compliance focused. And a lot of that is because we're a public institution, it's higher education, so we tend to focus on policies and processes. And that is not my style. I lead with what, what, what adds value? What is the problem that we're trying to solve for? And so that I immediately saw, even with my own team, that I'd ask, well, you know, why do we do this? And I'd get emailed or they'd quote the policy. And so we're very compliance-focused, and that is part of what we wanted to change across the organization. We want people to think. We want them to feel empowered to make decisions, challenge processes and policies, even if it's state law. If it makes sense, let's follow the appropriate process to do that. So from a culture perspective, we have not empowered our employees to speak up, to challenge. Um, some of our processes were very cumbersome and very manual, and it just it didn't speak to the culture that we wanted to create, that we've created. And, and as you know, culture takes years. It doesn't, the change doesn't happen overnight, but we've been very deliberate as a leadership team to identify different, to, to give empower leaders to make decisions for their team. We've empowered employees to provide feedback. We put feedback mechanisms in place to solicit feedback, to measure engagement. And all of those things have made a huge difference in the organization. We've talked about leadership behaviors and how we should show up as leaders and how our behaviors then impact the culture that we're really creating, the different culture that we created. The other thing that I'll say is creating an experience, being very clear about the different experiences that we want to create for our employees. And that's something prior to joining University of Texas System, I spent many years in the retail industry, and we talked constantly about customer experience and being customer-centric. And we, and that was not something that wasn't common language across UT systems. So as I've worked with my team around looking at our processes and putting tools and simplifying the work that we're doing, we talk about what experience do we want to create for a manager and for employees or even a candidate who just has an interest in coming to work for the University of Texas system. And all of those things positively will create the outcomes and positively impact the culture work that we're doing. And, you know, and as you, you've done this work and you guys have explored those things, um, are, are there particular parts of your culture that you really kind of hang your hat on that maybe when you're talking, uh, you know, to your to new talent or retaining your best talent, you know, what are some of those things that you guys really talk about or, or maybe explore with those candidates? We talk a lot about the, organ- the mission of the organization. It's one of the things that I have really enjoyed and appreciate about the University of, Te- of Texas is that we are mission-focused, and, and that means, in a way that I haven't seen in organizations that I've worked for, that means a lot to candidates externally 
Uh, we talk a lot about the opportunities that are created because University of Texas system is a huge organization. There are over 100,000 employees employed across the state of Texas. We're one of the largest employers. So we talk about the opportunity to grow, to uh, be able to grow your career and advance your career across the organization. And we're an organization known for excellence. And so those are some of the things that have really worked to our advantage. And, and we really are very passionate and committed to sharing that story with candidates as we look to bring them into the organization. And so, you know, the University of Texas does have a, you kind of mentioned, large large organization of a diverse portfolio, um, healthcare and academic institutions, oil and gas and investment. I mean, you guys have a, really run the gamut if you want to look at the different types of things happening under your overall structure. So maybe you could talk about some of the difficulties and trying to balance that overall cultural feel um, to keep them all these different divergent, maybe uh, groups uh, together and, 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 and striving for the same thing um, as opposed to maybe having these kind of subcultures or segments uh, that might be impacting the university in a, in a negative way. You know, that's, that is a great point. I, I've definitely learned. So I've had the benefit of working Having been exposed to healthcare, health and wellness in a previous organization, I work in the energy industry. So that, and I know those worlds are completely different. And then you add in academic organizations and the dynamic, um, all of the the dynamics that come with working in an academic institution. But where, so there are definitely differences. There are subcultures. Um, you have the difference between the focus on staff versus faculty. You, um, we have some very dynamic and world globally known, world-renowned institutions such as MD Anderson, which is our flagship organization, um, which is known for excellence across the globe. So you have all of those different dynamics. Um, and then we have our oil and gas company, which is really focused uh, and aligned with the energy industry and best practices. And we have people, individuals, a CEO that has deep experience in the oil and gas field and has brought in excellent talent to lead that work. So, but where we are aligned around the work that we do is the mission of the, the overall organization. And yes, each of those organizations and institutions have their missions as well, but we are aligned around wanting to improve the working conditions of people and patients and customers and our employees across the state of Texas. Uh, we are also aligned around excellence, and, and I know I mentioned that earlier, but I can't say enough about how much, how often that discussion, the, the importance of striving for excellence, delivering excellence, being um, an outstanding employer, and making the right decisions for our employees and our patients and customers is, is really important to all of us across the UT system, and that is integrated in everything that we do. You know, one of the things that um, I think kind of looking at your, your past and your history is that you've implemented a more holistic kind of people strategy to empower employees and then really help them achieve the overall, you know, university system's mission. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that strategy, both short-term and long-term, and maybe how you think it's impacted the overall direction? Yeah, thank you. I You know, I, I took a different approach when I joined UT System. Uh, in terms of building the strategy out um, than I have in the past. And what, and what I mean by that is 
I engaged leaders and stakeholders in a different way on the front end than I've done in the past. Um, and part of that is because many of the, the strategies or the programs that we're putting in, we put in place and continue to want to put in place across UC system are new. And so my goal was to get us the best practice first, and then we'll get to innovation second. And so I, my approach was engaging leaders. I did listening tours, which is very common for new leaders to come in, and because I really wanted to engage people in helping build out that strategy. Um, our strategy, the HR strategy, or our people strategy, is simple. And simple meaning it is very clear, it's connected, it's holistic, it looks across the organization, it's integrated with everything that we do, and, of course, it's outcome-focused. There are five pillars, leadership and diversity, which we see as an integrated function and an area of focus, efficiency and effectiveness, total compensation, which is an enabler, workforce development, and health and wellness. And all of these strategic priorities are aligned with our mission and our strategic plan and their outcome focus. And we've been very clear about the measurements that the, the metrics that we're going to use to measure that. And I communicate consistently, in fact, kind of over-communicate the progress that we made against it because I want, again, everyone, all of our employees and, and leaders to be aligned and and part of the process, the journey that we've gone through, that we will continue to go through as a, through our HR work. And and that has proven to be very um, successful for me. We focus on impact and value, not just on trying to deliver a bunch of HR programs and processes that may not be seen as useful to our employees. Well, I, I tried this experiment with our uh, first guest on the show today, and I'm, I'm going to throw, throw you a question that you didn't expect, and we'll see what answer comes out. So, um, you know, is there a gadget or a software or a thing or something or an app that maybe you've been using um, or, or recently discovered that you're just loving and, and would love to share with us? Oh, that, yes, this is a curveball. So I, I have three teenage or young adult children, 22, 19, and 17, so they love to point out how old I am and how bad I am at <laughs> using technology. Um, but I guess in terms of an app, so this is not an app, but I, I am always the one that I never buy the new and the latest phone. So I always go, well, what's on sale? What's the cheapest sale phone? And that's what I buy. But I treated myself, and I bought a, an iPhone 10 or X or whatever it's called, the newest one, so I have, it has been a lot of fun learning the functionality and, the, and how to use it. And, and I'm constantly sharing, showing my children, look, you can do this. And they're like, yeah, we know that. Secondly, Spotify. My daughter finally convinced me to get Spotify. So I, I have let go of Pandora. And um, I, I've been learning, spot, learning to use Spotify, and it has just been very delightful. So I've had fun working on both of those. Well, I'm glad that you uh, got got connected to those things and are enjoying them. And certainly, um, we, we just were talking about Spotify with the first guest about how it curates content for you and really starts to learn, yeah. uh, you know, kind of what you like and presents you with new things you maybe you never thought of. So, yes, it's very yeah. cool. It's very, it's a smart app. It's a smart uh, application, and it's connected with integrated with Waze too. 
Yes, and they just connected with Waze, which is amazing. So, uh, yeah. which may actually get me back into Waze because I had kind of given that up for a while. But, um, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah. you know, you mentioned a lot of great things on the show today. Um, if you were to summarize them, if you were to maybe if, if someone only remembered one or two things that you said, well, what is it you hope that they would have gotten out of our conversation today? I think as as we as you think about your HR strategy, number one. Think about experience. That is something that is near and dear to my heart, as I mentioned, having worked in organizations that were customer-centric. Those are transferable conversations and principles that can be transferred to any organization, whether you have actual customer shopping in your stores or in your organization or not. But thinking about the experience that you want to create for both internal and external customers is important. And secondly, the importance of being creating, of course, a business-aligned strategy, but keeping it simple and impact-focused and, and not trying to just roll out a lot of programs and, that won't add value, but keeping it simple and engaging people along the way are really important. Well, I'm really glad that you were able to kind of summarize that for us uh, and really kind of encapsulate uh, it, I think, in a way that people can can digest it, maybe go back and hopefully use that in their own work and their own careers and their families or wherever it may be. Um, you know, how can people learn more about uh, you or learn more about the uh, University of Texas systems? What's the best way if they want to, they're interested in knowing more about you? We're, we're so LinkedIn. I, I'm always on LinkedIn. I also, my information is published. We're a public organization. So my Contact information is on the website. Um, people are free to send me an email and, and reach out. I really do try to model what it means to network. I love talking to people and engaging with people and staying in touch. So I welcome that partnership and, and that collaboration. And I love to learn from others. So please feel free to reach out um, and, and we'll meet, have a conversation. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining me today, providing such great insights and really helping us uh, understand a bit more about the work that you're doing and the work that your organization is doing. Uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the wonderful things you're doing. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. All right. Enjoy that phone and that Spotify. And uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone else, for listening to today's show. Hopefully you've gained something that will help your own career. In a positive way. Next week, my guest will be let's see, uh, old friend returning back to the show. I think this might be his third or fourth time on. Uh, William Tincup, uh, president of Recruiting Daily and a pretty well-known uh, speaker in the HR world. Uh, also, we'll have Ron McKinley, VP and Chief Sta- uh, VP and Chief Standards Officer uh, for the University of Texas Medical Branch of Galveston. So, another another Texas connection here from one week to the next. But until then, do we love and show the world how talented you can be today? You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.